weeks, we, uh, Rob started a sermon series in First Peter, which I'm really excited about. Um, if you're new here, please come back again soon so that you can hear more from our lead pastor, Rob, from our series in First Peter. Um, but uh, I'm, my name is Ryan. My name's not Rob. I'm one of the uh, pastors here who, uh, from time to time, we break into uh, our regular sermon series with a uh, selection from uh, this year, uh, focus on the attributes of God. The attributes of God uh, have been so edifying as I've studied them, and I trust that God has lifted your sight to him. Uh, today we want to lift our eyes to consider that God is a God of peace. God is a God of peace. All peace belongs to him, and he is untouchable by the chaos of this world. So I believe God wants to fill your heart with faith and encouragement and, uh, and challenge you to seek his peace above the false uh, hollow peace that this world uh, claims to offer. So we're going to look at four short texts that describe the peace of God uh, or the lack of peace that we have apart from him. So Kathy's going to read our key verse, John fourteen twenty seven, which is a, a promise from Jesus to give us peace, to give his disciples peace. Rob is going to read Psalm 131, which is a picture, a beautiful picture of peace, uh, as a psalmist uh, declares to the Lord how he is content in him and him alone. And then Anna's going to remind us from Isaiah 57 that there's no peace apart from God. There's only chaos. There's only churning. And then Don finally is going to read from Philippians 4 and, and show us how the nearness of God can bring peace to our hearts, how we can respond to God in prayer, and how the peace of God will protect us, will protect our hearts, protect our minds. So let me invite Kathy to come and read the word of God to us. John 14, verse 27. Peace I leave you with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Psalm 131, a song of ascents of David. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Isaiah 57, 20 and 21. But the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet, and its waters toss up mire and dirt, mire and dirt, pardon. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Philippians 4, 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Let supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. 
And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. I want to read that last verse one more time. And the peace of God, the very peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That, that is a high and lofty blessing, that the peace of God would guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. I want that for you, and I want that for me. I want the peace of God to guard your heart and to guard your mind in Christ Jesus. The alternative is to have an unguarded mind, vulnerable to endless fears. The alternative is to have an anxious heart, just having anxieties run wild through our hearts. We want our hearts and our minds to be safe and secure in Christ, don't we? We want them to be guarded forever by the peace of God. And so, as I preach, I want to ask God to help us to get there together. We're going to try to get there together by the power of the Holy Spirit, by first looking at God, who is the God of peace. Then we're going to look at how sin ignores the peace of God. And we're going to look at how peace is offered by Christ. And lastly, how peace is constantly received and applied. So God is a God of peace, but sin ignores the peace of God. Peace is offered by Christ, and peace is constantly something that we receive and apply. Our main verse this morning, uh, Kathy read, is John fourteen twenty seven. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he's saying to them, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. This is coming from a section of John's gospel that is amazing. It's known as the Farewell Discourse, and it's given that title, the Farewell Discourse, because Jesus is saying goodbye. He only has a few hours left before his death on a cross. And so his departure is going to be very confusing for the disciples. It's going to be very painful. It's going to be disturbing for them. And so he wants to give them some things in parting. He wants to comfort them. He wants to share truth with them that they will need as he goes away. One of the things he wants to give them is peace. So he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. And I want you to notice the possessive adjective my. It's an important word in the text, my peace. So who does this peace belong to? It belongs to Jesus. Peace I leave with you, he says, but not just any peace, my peace. This is the peace that I possess, and I'm giving it to you, says Jesus. Now, does it matter whose peace Jesus is giving? It certainly does. It certainly does. And that is part of Jesus' point. He says, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give you. So he's setting up a contrast. He's setting up a comparison. He's acknowledging there is a type of peace that the world can try to give you. Financial security, absence of conflict, abundance of food, safe shelter, good health, low crime rates. 
Jesus is saying, yeah, those are all things that the world can hold out to you as sources of peace. But Jesus says, I'm not giving you that peace. I'm not giving you worldly, fragile, temporary peace. I'm giving you my peace. And my peace is something entirely different. My peace is literally out of this world. So that begs the question. We should ask Jesus, what kind of peace are you talking about? What is your peace like? What kind of peace do you have? Well, Jesus Christ possesses the peace of God himself. Jesus Christ possesses the peace that is the God of pieces. So, God is a God of peace. That's point number one. God is a God of peace. What that means is that God is completely separate from the chaos and the disorder and the conflict that we are subject to. God stands apart from everything that is not peace. God stands apart from everyone who damages peace. 1 Corinthians 14.33 just kind of mentions this in passing. It's talking about order and worship. But, But Paul just links this to who God is. He says, For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. God is not a God of confusion. He's a God of peace. And that word translated confusion also means instability or disturbance. God is not a God of instability. He's not this way one day and that way another day. There's no instability in God. He cannot be shaken. He's always and forever stable and secure. God is not a God of disturbance. God cannot be disturbed in any way. His mind cannot be disturbed. His actions cannot be disturbed. His promises cannot be disturbed because God is a God of peace. God is always and forever at peace. He's untouched by the conflicts that rage around us here on earth. In the throne room of God, there is always beautiful tranquility, beautiful stability, perfect peace. We see a little little picture of that in Psalm 2. The second psalm uh, opens like this. The psalmist asks, Why did the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. So this is a picture of widespread mutiny. Let's tear God out of his throne room. How does God respond to that kind of sedition, that kind of betrayal, that kind of opposition? Verse 4, he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. When military superpowers unite together and attack God, challenging him to battle, God from his untouchable throne of peace laughs. It's a joke. They could have tanks and bombers and drones and submarines and missiles. Doesn't matter. God's out of reach. God cannot be disturbed. God is a God of peace, and his peace is secure. Now that phrase in 1 Corinthians 14.33, God is not a God of confusion, also carries the sense God is not a God of disorder. 
That's also completely true of God. There's no disorder in God. He's perfectly ordered at all times. This is true of his being, and it's true of his work. It's true of his being, that is, there's no disorder in the person of who God is. All his thoughts are ordered. All his desires are ordered. All his plans are ordered. It's also true of his work. There's no disorder in what God does. When God creates, it is ordered. When God shows love, it is orderly. When God shows justice, it is orderly. God is ordered in his person. God is ordered in his work. He's a God of orderly peace, perfect, eternal, all-encompassing peace. There's another wonderful word used in the Bible for God's peace um, in the Old Testament. That word you've probably heard is shalom. The shalom of God is a beautiful, rich, expansive concept. And that word is used in our call to worship. So in Isaiah 9, 6, Jesus was referred to as the prince of peace. That's the word right there, the prince of shalom. That text means that Jesus is the prince or the chieftain, the captain of all God's peace. That Hebrew word means many things, but it means completeness. It means wholeness. Everything is right. Everything is sound. Everything is good. So one sense it can be used is like a masterfully crafted stone wall where not a, a single stone is missing, not a single crack. That wall is shalom, complete, whole, strong. That's one of the senses in which shalom is used. It also means safe and secure, prosperous, healthy, joyful. That's exactly who God is. God is the God of shalom. He's complete, He's perfect. He's secure. He's utterly and unchangingly strong. And he's perfectly ordered. God is a God of peace. When everything is right in our hearts and our minds, we ache to be part of that kind of beautiful perfection. We long to experience the security and the wholeness of the peace of God. And when we consider the, the magnitude of God's peace, John 14, 27 takes on a richer meaning, does it not? This is the prince of peace, the, the captain of shalom saying to his disciples, peace, I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. That's what Jesus gives to his disciples. Nothing less than the very peace of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And there is no greater comfort and safety than having the peace that Jesus gives. But conversely, there's no greater danger than to be excluded from God's peace. There's no greater good than being included in the peace of God You were made, can you sense, you were made to know the peace of God. You were made to know the peace of God. Can you feel that? 
The best news in the world is that Jesus Christ is willing to share that peace with you. That is the best news. Jesus is willing to share his perfect peace with you. Unfortunately, the default position of every human is to live in complete ignorance, confusion, and blindness to the true peace of God. That's point number two, the peace of God ignored by sin. Now, the peace of this world is fragile. The peace of this world can be taken away from you in an instant. But sin has such a grip on our hearts and our minds that we, we, without even consciously doing it, we overvalue the hollow peace of this world and we just ignore the peace of God over and over. It is tragic how humanity looks for peace everywhere except for from the God of peace. We just look for peace everywhere except for where it's located, in God. You are familiar with those feelings every day. I mean, this is a daily human experience. I mean, outside of God, you know what it's like to look for peace in the things of this world. And that's what the world is telling us on a daily basis. For many of us, financial security, for example, holds out peace. Peace, says the world, means a big salary, a full bank account, a booming 401k. There's a way that's attractive to us, isn't it? What about relationships? Peace, says the world. Peace is popularity. It's laughing with your friends all the time. It's getting along with everybody. It's heartfelt conversation. You can feel the attractiveness of that. That's got a grip on our hearts. Or maybe it's self-expression. Peace, says the world, is, is expressing yourself, is letting your, your true, authentic colors shine. It's being honest with everyone and having them affirm you for who you are. You can feel that pull. You can feel that desire. How about a tranquil home? <laughs> Peace says the world, is everything in its place. Everything sparkling clean. Everything quiet, looking good. Sunbeams through the windows, right? That feels great. That feels great. Or maybe it's power. Peace, says the world, is you in charge. Everyone listening to your instructions. Following your good vision acknowledging your superiority. That sounds great too, doesn't it? None of those things are inherently evil. None of those things are just wicked in and of themselves. But sin wants them too much. And sin wants them without reference to God. And sin doesn't acknowledge that each of them can be taken away from us in an instant. There's no peace that the world offers that can not be snatched out of your hands tomorrow. Nothing the world offers will last. Only the peace of God will be there for you 200 years from now. Only the peace of Jesus Christ. And so the tragedy and the evil of human idolatry is that, Romans 3.11, no one understands this. No one seeks for God. 
Left to our own devices, Romans 3.18, the way of peace they have not known. We don't understand where peace is found apart from God's help. We don't seek for peace in God apart from God's help. The way of peace we do not know apart from God's help. So where are you looking for peace apart from God this morning? What is most attractive to you about the peace that the world offers? Think of it this way. What would you rather have removed from your life, even if it meant you didn't have Jesus? Or what would you rather possess in life, even if it meant you didn't have Jesus? Where are you looking for peace apart from God today? The tragedy, again, of our pursuit of worldly peace is it, it actually leads us into endless cycles of striving that drives us further and further away from the true peace of God. Seeking for the peace of the world takes us further from the peace of God. And Isaiah prophesied such a, a clear picture of this. Anna read it for us where Isaiah says, The wicked are like the tossing sea. For it cannot be quiet. Its waves toss up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. That's a picture of human striving, human conflict. Just like waves going up and down. All they find is dirt. All they find is mud. There's no peace for the wicked because there's no peace apart from the God of peace. Now into the churning waves of our rebellion and confusion stepped Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. That's point number three. Peace, true peace, is offered by Christ. Now Jesus never sinned. Jesus never sinned. And part of what that means is that he perfectly treasured the peace of God at all times perfectly valued and sought and lived in the peace of God at all times. He never wrongly desired the peace of this world. And as you read the Gospels, you can see that so clearly. Jesus lived a radically unusual life. I've never met anyone who lived like Jesus. For example, Jesus was homeless Foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head, he said. And he didn't just say it, he lived it. Jesus wasn't looking for a home to bring him peace and security. Jesus was unmarried with no kids. He wasn't looking for a relationship or a family to bring him harmony and peace. Jesus spoke with just this boldness and authority. He was never afraid to challenge and contradict the religious leaders of his day. He was not looking for affirmation from the powerful to bring him peace. Jesus didn't even live for the peace that comes from popularity. When the crowds flocked to the guy, they wanted to make him king. Jesus was not living for popularity. He slipped away from that crowd that wanted to make him king and stayed on the mission. He knew that there was no lasting peace 
apart from the God of peace. And he had something much bigger to accomplish than to, to accumulate the peace of this world. His mission was not to enjoy the peace of this world because he knew it was hollow. He knew it was fading fast. His mission was to show the surpassing worth of the peace of God. And his mission was to open a way for us to join him in that peace forever. So Jesus didn't crave the comfort of an easy life. He was secure in the peace of God And therefore, he was always willing to step into suffering to fulfill his mission. Now, our blindness to the source of true peace and our indifference to the glory of God's peace is so messed up that it's evil. And in order for Jesus to offer us peace, he had to do at least two things. At least two things. He had to at least absorb the punishment that we deserved for that kind of indifference, that kind of blindness, that kind of idolatry, that kind of evil. Jesus had to absorb that punishment, and he did that on the cross. But he also had to make us new. We need new sight to see the beauty of God's eternal peace. We need a new mind to comprehend God's superior peace. We need a new heart to treasure the peace of God and to stop loving the empty peace of this world. We need to be made new. Do you have new sight? Do you have a new mind? Do you have a new heart? If not... You're in the right place. You're surrounded by people whom Jesus is making new. And we'd love to plead with God to make you new along with us. If you don't have that sight, if you don't have that mind, if you don't have that heart, please let us pray with you after the service. We would love to do that. Because Jesus offers real peace. Jesus offers lasting peace, peace with the one who made you, peace that never ends, peace that touches every part of your soul, every part of your heart, every part of your mind, and there's no other peace that matters. There's no other peace that can hold a candle to what Jesus offers us for all eternity. Hear Jesus saying to you this morning, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Don't you want that peace? Don't you want the peace that Jesus offers? How can you receive that peace from Jesus? How can you continually draw upon the peace of Christ? That's point number four, peace received and applied. How does that peace become so powerful to you that it guards your heart and it guards your mind in Christ Jesus? Well, the life of a Christian is a life of continually rejecting the false peace of the world and continually embracing the true peace of God. Continually rejecting the peace of the world, continually embracing the peace that Jesus offers. 
And I want to give you three simple ways to do that, to, to receive the, the peace of Christ, to position yourself before the Lord in an ongoing way, whether that be for the first time or for the thousandth time. Those three ways are this. Believe, rest, and pray. Believe, rest, and pray. These are all acts of faith. These are all gifts from God. Let's look at them one by one. First, peace is linked to believing. So our main verse was from John chapter 14. Jesus has much to say to his disciples in the farewell discourse. And then two chapters later in John 16, 33, he says kind of a summary statement. He says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. So Jesus is giving information. He's, he's telling his disciples things. And he intends for that to give them peace. So it's, you know, it's truth and then peace. How do you get from truth to peace? You get from truth to peace by believing in the truth. Believe. Believe that what Jesus says is true. Believe that God is, in fact, a God of comprehensive peace. Believe that there is no other peace apart from him. Believe that your sin, your seeking peace elsewhere, is the biggest eternal danger to your soul. And believe that Jesus paid completely for your specific sins on the cross. And believe that Jesus offers you personal forgiveness for your many sins. And believe that Jesus gives you his eternal peace day after day. Believe. That's simple, right? It's simple to believe. But it's not always easy, is it? It's not always easy. Fortunately, Jesus knows that. <laughs> the whole verse, John fourteen twenty seven. remember, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you, let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Do you find your heart easily troubled? Jesus knows. Do you find your heart is easily afraid? Jesus knows. That's why he spoke these words to you. And you can see Jesus linking that forsaking fear and embracing faith in John 14, 1. Same exact phrase. Jesus says this, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. There's a link between putting fears aside and believing in who Jesus is, what he's done. So the opposite of a troubled heart is faith, a heart of faith. Believe in God the Father. Believe in God the Son. Believe in God the Holy Spirit. It is not unusual to feel fear. It is not unusual to feel troubled. That's why Jesus told us to forsake it. The question is, what are you doing with those feelings? What are you doing with those temptations? Are you fighting your fears with faith? Are you fighting your troubled mind with truth? Or are you just letting anxious thoughts run wild? That's the, that's the crux of the matter. 
So where do you go when you feel afraid? Where do you go when you feel troubled? It's okay to go to the doctor. It's okay to go to a counselor. Those can be avenues of God's grace to you. But do you go to God himself too? Do you go to the King of Kings, the Prince of Peace, the one who holds all of the peace? Go to God. Go to his word. Get help from his people. God wants us to to minister peace to one another. These are are Jesus' instructions. They're not suggestions. These are commands. Don't let your heart linger in a troubled place. Don't let your heart wallow in a fearful place. Seek the Lord. Apply his truth. Now, would you like a place to start? I mean, this is from me. This is not necessarily from the Lord, but this is just my advice. Read and study John chapters 14 through 17. The Gospel of John chapters 14 through 17. Read it, reread it, and then read it again. And then listen to it, and listen to it again. And pray over it. Tell God what it makes you think about. Write down some thoughts about it. Memorize chunks of it. Memorize the whole thing. Can you imagine what a grace that would be to you if you memorized John 14 through 17? Wow, that would be phenomenal. Now, if you can't even start that process without help, then ask for help from a mature Christian. Listen, it should be nothing to us to ask each other for help. Nothing. By the very fact of identifying yourself as a Christian, you are declaring to the world, I need help. I need a savior. So let's be quick to ask each other for help. I mean, that's just like Christianity 101. How do we receive the peace of Jesus? How do we receive the peace of Jesus? Believe. Rest. And pray. Let's look at that second aspect of faith. Rest. Now, I'm taking this as a cue from Psalm 131. This is just a beautiful picture of contentment. Um, I'm going to reread it in the NIV translation. My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have calmed and quieted myself. I'm like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Why a weaned child? What what picture does that convey? I just learned that in the ancient Near East, children were often weaned later in childhood than in our culture. When this psalm was written, uh, children were probably weaned as late as three or four years of age, maybe even later. Now, being weaned feels terrible. Think of it from the child's perspective. I mean, if you're one year old, you probably, it's probably not that traumatic. But if you're four years old, that source of comfort and nutrition taken away from you, that's, that's traumatic. A four-year-old can, can remember, can understand, can plead, can beg, can weep. That is a painful process for a four-year-old child. They probably don't understand what mom's doing. 
They probably don't agree that this is a good plan. But out of that season of loss and confusion emerges something better. A weaned child. It's a part of growing up. It's a good thing. Mom does know best. That child that's weaned no longer demands from mom. They're content to be with mom. They've been humbled. They've submitted to mom's will. They are at peace. And sometimes that's the kind of peace that God is offering to you. Has God taken something away from you that you used to enjoy? Has God withheld something from you that you think would be just so good? Have your tears and prayers seemed to fall on deaf ears? Have you asked for an explanation from God and seemingly gotten none? Listen, God doesn't always offer you an explanation. But what he does always offer is himself. He does not always offer you an explanation. He does always offer you himself. And we should expect a loving Heavenly Father to sometimes wean us from the temporary things of this world to prepare us and to mature us for a greater peace, a peace in God himself. Maybe God wants to teach you to love the giver of every good thing instead of the gifts themselves. Do you know like the psalmist how to calm and quiet yourself with the Lord? Do you know how to humble yourself and and acknowledge that some things are just beyond your comprehension? Some things are just out of your league. Do you know how to rest with your heavenly daddy? Do you know how to turn off the TV? Shut off your phone. Get rid of the podcast. No distractions. Just you and God. Sometimes the Lord just calls us to be still and know that he is God. Do you know how to be still? Do you know how to be quiet? Do you know how to rest in God? If you're like me, it's not so much a question of do you know how to be quiet? It's a question of when are you going to be quiet? (laughs) When? When are you going to be quiet with the Lord? Will you do that today? Will you do that tomorrow? When will you be still and rest with your heavenly daddy, content that he is enough for you? To receive the peace of Jesus, we believe, we rest, and we pray. So let's lastly just consider prayer. Philippians 4 has this to say. I'm going to start the second half of verse 5. The Lord is at hand. The Lord of peace is near. The Prince of peace is offering you his peace 
from an arm's length away. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But there's so many things to be anxious about, Paul. How can we fight our anxieties? But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. People who are striving to put anxiety away are people who pray. People who are striving in faith to hang on to the peace that Jesus holds out to us are people who pray. People who know that the Prince of Peace is near are people who pray. So do you pray? When do you pray? And I'm not just asking you, I'm asking me too. I believe God is calling me to grow in prayer. And I believe God is calling you to grow in prayer too. So come to prayer before our Sunday morning services. Come to prayer in Sunday evening, 745 right here. One of the main reasons I come to those regularly is because God is calling me to grow in prayer. Not because I'm this awesome prayer warrior, but because I need to grow. I need to learn. I need to practice. You probably need to practice too, so come on down. Pray on your own. Invite others to your house to pray. People who are putting aside anxiety are people who pray. People who treasure the peace of God are people who pray. People who know that the Lord is at hand are people who pray. One more time. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. One more time. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I want that for me, and I want that for you. Let's be a people who treasure and pursue the peace of God in Christ Jesus. We get an opportunity to do that right now. We're going to spend the next few moments opening up a time of prayer. I'll lead. Let's pray prayers of response to the word of God, and let's pray prayers of confession where appropriate. At the end of that time, I'll leave a minute or two for for those prayers. And at the end of that time, I'll just lead us in a pastoral prayer as we expand the view of our prayers beyond the walls of, of our congregation. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, I thank you that you are at hand. You could have stayed distant. You could have stayed far, far away from our chaos. You could have stayed far, far away from our idolatry. But Jesus, you are not just the Prince of Peace. You are our Emmanuel, our God with us. You have brought peace to our chaos. And Lord, I'm sorry for the ways that I seek peace elsewhere. I want to stop. I want to stop. I only want to look for peace in you. 
Please help me. Please help the rest of us, Lord, and hear us now, Lord, as we pray in response and we pray in confession together. In Jesus' name.